Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will come from 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are all written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. Would you open God's book, or remain, let it remain open, to Second Chronicles chapter 33, and if you want an outline of the sermon from this morning, you may have it by keeping that passage open on your lap. It will be essential for you to be able to see a copy of the Bible to follow along in this sermon, so if at all possible, get your eyes on a copy of the book. One of the things that Christians share is that we never grow tired of hearing about forgiveness. The bounty of God's forgiveness is seen in a number of things. And as a matter of fact, you might consider what we're doing this morning in worship to essentially be a celebration of the forgiveness of our God. I mean, we just take the Lord's Supper and we portrayed the images in our minds of the crucifixion. And at the conclusion of that, I think all of us thought, he did that for me. That was for me. That was so that I could have the stain of sin lifted off of me. And when we sang these songs, we sang with the grace of our Lord in our hearts. That's what the Bible says. And what does that mean? Except that I, I recognize the wonderful forgiveness and mercy of my God. And from that heart, I sing praise to him. And our lesson today is about forgiveness. Now, you can see the, the magnitude of the, the forgiveness of God in a number of different ways. I want to consider a couple of them. The one is that I want to just, I don't know, this is just a joy for me, to touch on the metaphors in Scripture of the forgiveness of God. And I probably should preface, preface it with this. But forgiveness in the Old and New Testaments both is presented in a couple of different ways, or maybe this is just two different facets of his forgiveness. And one is the, the, the forgiving of a debt. I owe a debt. I cannot pay the debt. And, and forgiveness is to say, I release you from that. And so in Matthew chapter 18, you have that the king called in his servants and, and he would have them to pay the money they owed. And one man said, I owe 10,000 talents. I can't pay it. And the Bible says he forgave him that debt. Now that's one way that the word forgive, one definition for it is the forgiveness of a debt. And the other one is when a relationship has been breached, and that's what we typically think about, I think, like in Genesis chapter 50, and, and Joseph and his brothers and Jacob, the dad, dies, and the brothers came and they just begged Joseph to forgive them for all the terrible things they did to their brother, Joseph. There are two different facets there. Now, it may interest you to know that both of these are connected to the model prayer. And so, you know, Luke gives his model prayer, and then you have it revealed in Matthew. In, in Luke chapter 11, 
it reads like this, and forgive us our sins. But in Matthew 6, it's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then there's the metaphors. I mean, in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Well, what about Isaiah chapter 38? The Bible says that, that he will take those sins and cast them behind his back. Can we put up that slide? There you go. He's going to cast them behind his back. Or, or what about Jeremiah chapter 31, and I will remember their sins no more. I love that. I really think that when we get to judgment, the Father, the, the Son of God, that is, rather, will say, I, just, I know about you, I know, that you're, I know about your sins, I can recollect them, but I distinctly remember forgetting that. It isn't that he couldn't recollect them, it's that he's going to treat us as if we didn't commit them. He's going he's to forgive us. We will have been forgiven of those things. Or what about Mark chapter 7? Don't you love this one? that he takes our sins and casts them into the depth of the sea. It's that I'm saying to God, so say it again, just, just say it again. I want reassurance and every time, every way you say it, I want to hear it more. I want to hear it more. And we come into this room and we worship God and we sing praise to him in acknowledgement of and celebration of his forgiveness. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. It's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. That's one way to look at it. I mean by that, you have these metaphors and, and all the Bible assurances, and I never, ever get tired of hearing about the forgiveness of God. I need it. But there's another way. Heaven. I mean by that. I mean, it's like that. When, when do you see the farthest? With, with the, the human eye, when do you see the farthest? And if you say, well, when the sun is bright and I, you know, everything is clear like it is today and I could see out some windows back there right now and you say, I can see, well, that's not really the answer though. The answer is I can see better in the dark. I can see farther, that is, in the dark. Because when it's dark, only then can I see the stars of the heavens. When do you see forgiveness the best? When do you see it the best? And the answer is in the dark. In our today in Second Second Chronicles chapter thirty three, this is a character study. The sermon today is a character study, and his name is Manasseh. I don't know. I don't know what you remember about him. Maybe you you've studied a good bit about Manasseh, but it needs to be in your mind when you think about forgiveness, especially in the context of. I sure hope he can forgive me, because I've done so much wrong. And there have been times when people hesitated to obey the gospel because they just couldn't, they couldn't accept the fact that after I've done all of these things, that he could still forgive me. Now, forgiveness is not cheap. That's why the cross is what it is. And it requires a yielding of people to God. But, the, but that's not the point. The point is that, that forgiveness is... It's huge that, that his ability to forgive us through the cross is just tremendous. And so here's, here's Manasseh in Second Chronicles chapter 33. Now, there are five Manassehs in the Bible. Two of them are, are rather well known. The biggest one, of course, is the son of Joseph. Manasseh and Ephraim were his sons. And you know that a nation came from Manasseh. But the other one is the son of Hezekiah. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon 
a character study on King Hezekiah, and he was a good king in Judah, which was remarkable, really, because, because his father, Ahaz, was wicked. Hezekiah perhaps saw his brother pass through the fire of Molech, saw him being sacrificed to one of those idols, and Ahaz popularized idolatry, and he was just as wicked as you could imagine. But then Hezekiah did right. Now, he didn't always use good sense, good judgment, but he did right. He was a righteous king, and he, he cleansed Judah of their, their idolatry. When he got to the end of his life, and he was sick and about to die, He asked God for more time, and God gave him 15 more years. In the third year, 15, Hezekiah had a son whose name was Manasseh. Manasseh. When Manasseh was 12 years old, he took the throne. And he's going to reign for 55 years. Now, I want to start with verse 1. 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, the people of Canaan. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals. He made wooden images and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven to serve them. I I, I can't explain it. It seems to me like that that you would look to your dad, Hezekiah, and you would say, I want to be like him and look how much good he's done in Judah. But that's not what happened. And sometimes one generation flips over from the other and you know that I don't know all the reasons why, but you know that's true. And, and Manasseh is going to be surely one of the, if not the most wicked king ever in Judah. He's the 14th king, depending on how you, how you count him, in Judah. And he hates the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Manasseh will have as many gods as he can before Jehovah God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything above the earth or in the earth or beneath the earth. And that's exactly what Manasseh is going to do in a big way. He's going to, he's going to be idolatrous. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about this. Sin, I know that we don't hear that word very much. You hear it in this room, in, in worship, we talk about sin from Scripture. In home, if you have a Christian home, there are occasions when the word sin is used and we don't hesitate to use it because we know that it's a reality and we need to deal with it with the blood of Christ. But sin is not just moral. I say that because I think it's very easy for people to think that that sin is only with reference to me me mistreating other people. That that that's sin. Sin's always that. That's not true. Biblically, sin can be religious or moral. Now, Manasseh is guilty of both, but just, just think about this for a moment, that this demonstrates that sin can be religious in nature. Manasseh was exceedingly religious and a powerful leader, and a lot of people followed him in Judah, as but he sinned in his religion. It's a lesson, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this in this sermon, but I just want to, I just want to emphasize this point as we get deeper into this, is that is that in my religion, deciding what I will do in worship to God, as we, we're worshiping Him right now, 
or deciding what we will teach and preach and what doctrine we hold to and how we live our lives in submission to him, our religion. The first question must always be, when deciding how to do those things, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? It cannot be the case that when we look at these questions, these issues, that the first question we ask is, what do I prefer? You do that, you become idolatrous. That's the heartbeat of idolatry right there. It's that what's most important is what makes me happy, and so I'll create a God in my own image. And and an idol never tells me I'm doing wrong, and I rather like that. That's the way to go, and that's what happened with Manasseh. Can't be that way with you and me. We can be idolatrous and not have a graven image. You think about instrumental music in worship and what we do in our worship, and we sang today congregationally, and we sang a cappella. Why do we do that? Don't you like... Don't you like guitars and flutes? Yeah, well, yeah, I do. But, you know, that is absolutely not the question. The question is, what happens when you go to the book? What happens when you go to the scripture and the pattern that's used there about our worship? And, And what I'm telling you, it doesn't matter a snap what I like. The primary question is this. It's always got to be this. When you go to the book, what is it that God wants in our worship? And then we do that. We've got to do that. And in reference to to music and worship, it's congregational and it's a cappella singing. It it is only singing. It's not playing. I know the difference between playing and singing. It's singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, and you're familiar perhaps with those passages. All right, now here's number two. This is really big when you talk about Manasseh. So the first point in the first three verses here is is that he sinned religiously, that he rejected God, Jehovah God. But I want you to see and remember that Manasseh insulted God. It wasn't enough for Manasseh simply to reject him. He wanted to, I don't mean to trivialize this or make fun of it, he he wanted to poke his finger in the eye of God. He wanted to, to declare his rejection of God as loudly as he could. So verse 4. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Drop down to seven. He even, that's how New King James reads, and you probably ought to underline because that's for emphasis. He, like, is, is this if to say, that's, that wasn't enough? Is it that wasn't enough? He even set a carved image in the idol which he had made in the house of God, in the temple, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house, and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. (laughs) There are some people, and then, of course, the descendants of Manasseh are plentiful today, and it's not that they just want to sin, it's that they want to sin with a splash. It's, why, why, why couldn't Manasseh, if he wanted to serve idols, if he, if he just thought that's what he must do, well, okay, but, but couldn't he have gone out in a forest somewhere in an obscure place and, and carved it out and, and just worshipped his idol like that? You see, what he did was to take the idolatry, are you ready for this? And he put it in the house of God. What he did was to take it and put it in the temple of God. 
It's not so dissimilar. It's, 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 like, it's, it's like a man today who is really mad at his employer. I'm, I'm so, I just hate my boss. I really hate him. But he's not going to just, res- this man's not just going to resign, turn in a resignation and, and, and have, a, have a good day and then go. What he's going to do is to wait until he retires. And on that occasion, he just plans ahead. And when they have a banquet for him, they have a, a going away thing because he's retiring. He just plans ahead that when he makes his little speech, that's when he's going to tell the boss. That's when he's going to tell him. It's about a man who would go to a funeral and, and think, you know what, I, I have a grudge against this deceased man, and when I get a chance, I'm going to stand up and say some things about him at his funeral. That'll do it. I know that, that's just awful, but isn't that what Manasseh is doing? It's LGBTQ. It's, it's about, I'm not discontent practicing the, what the Bible calls abomination of homosexuality. It's not enough. What I want to do is to, is to have parades, and we'll shout it as loud as we can. That's Manasseh. That is Manasseh. I'm going to put the idols in the house of God. Really? Really? It's, it's the butchers of Planned Parenthood and the t-shirts in which, where women declare how happy they are that they had an abortion. How proud I am. I killed my baby. How proud I am of that. Uh, that doesn't say killed my baby, but how proud I am of my abortion and how, what a wonderful impact it made on my life. It, it made all the difference. I'm telling you, I, I'd have had a terrible life had I not done this. It, and, and so here you have insulting God. Now, walk down these verses with me, and I'm going to show you five ways that Manasseh did this briefly. Four, he built altars in the house of the Lord. Now drop down to verse 6, and here's the second one. He also caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. So why would you do that? How is that consistent with I get to do what I want to do if I have my own God? I make him, manufacture him the way that I want, and he always follows me. And how do you get sacrificing your children in that? And I believe the answer is this. When, When... Abraham went on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, according to what God commanded, and said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham raised the knife to take the, son of, uh, take the life of Isaac, his son. And God stopped his hand. And the point was that God knew now. God knew that there wasn't anything that Abraham wouldn't do in yielding to Jehovah God. There was nothing. I mean, if God said tomorrow, he said, Abraham, I want your, your donkey and I want your axe. You think Abraham would say, you're asking too much? That's too much. I'm not going to give it to you. (laughs) Are you kidding? No, no, no. Any man who would give his son would give whatever else. And I think the leaders of idolatry surely thought along those lines. And a woman who gave the fruit of her womb to the service of this idol is in too deep. She is not going to back down. And whatever you ask of her in this practice of this religion, the leaders know, I got her. She's not going to, she can't, she won't find it ever in her heart to be able to say, I, I followed a farce, a lie, and I gave the life of my child to this. She's never going to be able to do that. She won't do that. She's stuck forever into this idolatry. And surely that was the reason. I, it, it makes you wonder about Planned Parenthood, doesn't it? And, and that whole movement, and, and is, you can think about that. Okay, here's the third one. I'm still in verse 6. He practiced soothsaying used witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. What's, what is this about wizardry and, and about soothsaying, fortune tellers and all of that? So isn't that kind of harmless? 
What's the big deal about that? Oh, it's not harmless. I mean, the last clause of this verse says to provoke the Lord to anger. Does that make you tremble? It ought to. It does me. Let's see if we can anger God. Now, why would it anger God? And the answer is that these kinds of occult things are designed to shout at God and to say, I can reach the afterlife without you. I can go to, to places of eternity, and I can go to places of, I guess you could say, of heaven or whatever you want to call it, but I can get to the other side safely, and I don't need you. Really? Is that right? Really? And so this is Manasseh. Manasseh isn't content with merely practicing a false religion and sinning against God. He wants to insult God. So now here's, here's the next one. Drop down to verse 4 for this one. I'm sorry, verse 9 is the fourth one. So Manasseh seduced Judah. I think that Manasseh was kind of a rock star. I think that, I think that lots of people followed him. But look at this. Seduced. This is the, the New King James translation of the word seduced. And it, and it means what you think. I mean, it's, it's not sexual. I it, but what it means is that, that he drew the people toward this. That, I, that word is fascinating to me. When you look it up in the Hebrew, what, what, it, what it means is he, he made people dizzy on their feet. He took them off in a different direction. It's very much like when you read the definition and grasp it, it means... When, I, when we were children and we played blind man's bluff, if I remember it right, you put a blindfold on, on the person that's it, and you'd spin him around until he was just staggering dizzy, and then he couldn't see you and he had to try to touch you, and it's very funny because he was most apt to fall over. That's this word, that with his teaching, he made the people just dizzy. They didn't, they didn't see what was right to follow what was right, and they followed him. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. The Canaanites, he drove them out. He destroyed the Canaanites for their evil. And now Manasseh has made the people of God, Judah, to be more evil than those. In 2 Kings 24, in describing Manasseh, it says he shed innocent blood. Tradition says, and I can't prove this, but tradition says that Manasseh executed Isaiah the prophet. And he did so, and this would be true Manasseh fashion. He did so by putting two planks together and laying the man on there and sawing him asunder. And there's one more. And, and I, this one's going to involve a little speculation, but I think it's right is the fifth one. He insulted God by, by trying to erase the law of God. All right, so now Manasseh serves as king 55 years. When he dies, Ammon, his son, takes the throne, but he's kind of just, just a little nothing because he serves two years and his own servants kill him. He carried out idolatry, kept on the idolatry, but he didn't last, didn't last long. And then you get Josiah, Josiah's a good king. Josiah really is good. But Josiah's goodness and righteousness starts with the high priest tripping over a copy of the Bible and, and, the, and the scribe. And so they come to Josiah, and they tell you, the high priest is talking about the business of the day. And he says, oh, and we found a book. And it was, the, it was a copy of the, the law of God. Hey, we found a book. In other words, what that means is that, that when Manasseh was king, 
Something happened to the copies of the book of God. Something happened to the, the scrolls, the copies of the Bible. And they were gone to the degree that even in the, among the, the, the high priest himself wasn't familiar where a copy of it was. Surely it was, this, this matter was at the feet of Manasseh. Now go to verse 11. Because this, this gets us to the next point, which is that he begins to acknowledge God. God's not going to put up with that forever. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks. Now what they would do to insult their enemies when they, when they conquered them was to take hooks and put them through their noses and, and attach some sort of a leather or a, some sort of a rope or maybe they would put it through their lips, put the hook through the lip, and then they would have a rope attached to that, and they would parade them through the streets, and they would just let everybody know, you know what, don't mess with us because this is the king of this nation, or this is the leader of this nation, and, and you see what's going to happen to you if you bother us. And that's what happened to Manasseh. And, and the Bible says that God is the one who did that. And God operates in the governments of men and sometimes uses evil governments, evil men, to punish his own people. And that's what happened here. 12. Now, when he was in affliction, Manasseh is going to be in Babylon in this captivity. He's lost everything. He's penniless. He's miserable. 12 years he will be there. Now, when he was in affliction, ready for this? Okay, this is the pivot of the chapter. He implored, implored the, Lord, the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. This is reminiscent of, of Jonah in the belly of that fish. He was in this miserable place and he prayed to, to him, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, prayed to him, and he received, God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This is about forgiveness. But, but, but it's, it's, it's important because it is so utterly dramatic. It, it is of a man named Manasseh who insulted God every way he could and influenced Judah for, for evil as much as he could. You think God could forgive a man like that? And that's what you've got. He, he gets in this terrible place. For Peter, it was a rooster that crowed and reminded him and, and jerked him back into, into what he should be doing. The prodigal, what well, was the feeding of the swine, where he was, and he came to himself. For Manasseh, what it is is that he's in Babylon, and suddenly he's stripped of everything that he had before, all the power and the influence, and all of it's gone. And it makes him think about God. And he begs God for forgiveness. Begs him. And he makes promises. Now, I want to tell you something. The angels of heaven rejoice not over somebody who resolves, but somebody who actually returns. So, I mean, this is good. It wouldn't be enough, though, for Manasseh to say, God, please get me back and then I'll be a good man. I'll be righteous. And then go home and that's not true. But Manasseh is going to follow through. Manasseh will follow through. Now to verse 13. And prayed to him. He received his entreaty. 
heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And this is going to be for 20 years. He'll be back in his kingdom in Jerusalem for 20 more years. So if you break it down, he served as king for 55 years. He started at 12 years old. He, he served for 23 years. And then he was in captivity in Babylon for 12 years. And then he was back home again for 20 years. All right? After this, verse 14, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and, in, and it enclosed Ophiel. And he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. What you call this is the fruit of repentance. He's doing it. He's cleaning Judah of the idolatry. He's sick of it. He knows what it is. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. Wait a minute, went to the temple and cleaned that out too. This, this idol doesn't belong here at all. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, he cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah. He commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Now verse 17 is cruel, but I want you to remember it. The Bible says, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places but only to the Lord their God. And when you read on, what's going to happen is that Manasseh was not able to reel Judah back in. Oh, he changed, but sometimes a man can be through with sin and sin's not through with him. God's forgiveness to Manasseh did not mean the consequence of his sin didn't still have to be suffered through. And that's true in so many parts of our lives. Now 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Indeed, they're written in the book of the kings of Israel. Also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass and the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the the sayings of Hosea. So Manasseh rested with his fathers. They buried him in his own house. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. I, I, uh, I would say that what we're doing here this morning in our worship, and you could, you could frame it a different way, I guess, but this is a pretty good way. We, we're here this morning as Christians, servants of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, to celebrate his forgiveness. And we do that when we eat the Lord's Supper. And we do that when we sing and when we pray. We've been doing that this morning with the sermon. Are you thankful for his forgiveness? But how do you you recognize the magnitude of it? I mean, how much will he forgive us if we're willing to come to him on his terms? The answer is, in anticipation of the cross, the reality that Jesus was going to come and he would sacrifice his life, in anticipation of that, God forgave Manasseh. Are you kidding me? You know, you look at that and you think about how insulting he had been toward God and could you do it? Well, that's not the question. Could God do it? And the answer to that is certainly yes. And he'll forgive you. 
he will forgive you and me. And what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want you to obey the gospel if you haven't done that. And you should do that in anticipation of forgiveness. And know that when you obey, when you repent of your sins and confess him, that he is the son of God, and that you're immersed in water, that our Lord said it's in order to be saved. And he means it. And this is the promise which he promised us. John chapter 2, even eternal life. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.